When it comes to Canadian independent bands, it doesn't get bigger or better than this. Everything is kind of rosy and green. Times you'll find your senses all disjointed by the lines and wires of salesmen, cheats, and lies. Joining us on the line is Ron Hawkins. He is a talented singer, songwriter, painter. And for so many years, the lead singer, frontman, multi-instrumentalist, and primary songwriter for the band Lowest of the Low, currently in the Canadian Indie Hall of Fame. Ron, great to have you on the line. Thanks. Ron, it is uh, so exciting to know that the Lowest of the Low are coming to Meaford Hall March 1st. Uh, is this part of a tour for you guys? Yeah, it's been sort of, you know, I mean, touring seems to be a little different than it was back in the day uh, for us in terms of, like, you know, there, usually it's more three, four days out at a time and back to our home base. But, uh, yeah, but it's uh, we're going to be doing uh, Meaford and Barrie and Kingston this time out. You do have a brand new album out, but so let's talk a little bit about back in the day, as you put it. 1991, your album Shakespeare, My Butt, it, it heralded you guys as the darlings of the indie circuit. What, what was it like when that moment hit? Uh, it was always a little confusing. I mean, it was, you know, we used to be called, like, you know, every time I would pick up a paper, it would say, you know, indie freedom fighters, you know, <laughs> local local heroes, local revolutionaries or whatever. It was like, uh, you know, they really ran with that ball. And, you know, we certainly took that mantle, and it's not like it doesn't uh, describe us uh, in terms of what we wanted to do. But, I mean, when we set out, we, you know, we courted every large label in Toronto with, uh, with Shakespeare in My Butt, which was recorded as demos. We meant those to be demos. And we went to every single uh, major label in Toronto, and um, you know, and they were all here at that time. And uh, nobody would touch us with a ten foot pole, so we uh, decided to release it ourselves. And then, of course, we it, this is a music story that everybody recognizes, which is the band, you know, gets frustrated and decides to release it themselves. I think we <laughs> sold fifty thousand records in the first eight months or something on our own, and then through uh, Page Publications, which was uh, Stephen Page's dad had a had a basically a really small mom and pop organization and they released it and uh you know so once we sold 50,000 records of course every our phones were ringing off the hook from all the same people that turned us down it's interesting because from that moment you you kind of became the the, you know the harbingers of indie rock because because you didn't go major yeah and then after that of course you know I, i i i'm glad it went the way it went and i can imagine that it had we gotten signed to a major label when we tried to um our story would have been a different one and it wouldn't have been uh, as true to, to who we are, I think, as what happened. I mean, we were forced into a position that we then realized was the best position for us anyway. And then from that point on, once, we'd, once I'd seen behind the curtain and realized that all these people turned us down, and then the minute we showed any signs of success, they all called again, I realized that the whole thing is smoke and mirrors, and that the music industry really, uh, there are no you know, savants in the music industry discovering people. It's, they're discovering things that already work. So, you know, from that point on, we became very bitterly uh, or, or sort of, you know, stubbornly indie after that. It was like we wouldn't even give a uh, give an inch, you know. When you look at uh, today's music scene and, and uh, I mean, of course, back in the day, as you said, you, you made your demos. Then you needed someone with a ton of money to, to get your music out. That's changed quite a bit. Do you think that's healthy for, for music and Canadian music or, or do you think there's just different challenges? Yeah, you know, I think it, I, I think, un, unfortunately, I think for the, uh, how can I say this? I guess I would say that the internet has, is a boon for music lovers because you now can find every kind of niche music or, you know, or what used to be niche music 
and it's not, you know, it's not like the top six labels dictate to everybody what they should be listening to. So anybody can find, you know, any thing they want, which is fantastic and democratic. For the musicians, I think it's tougher because, uh, you know, now you're in this pool of millions and millions of bands and just all the white noise of having to use social media every single day to, to hype things that maybe aren't even hypeable. You know what I mean? Like you have to hype what you ate at lunch and you have to <laughs> hype, you know, hey, we, I, we all got red, you know, red uh, shoelaces for our shoes. You know, like let's put it on Instagram and, you know, tell everybody about it. And it's like, you know, you used to save those kinds of connections with your fans when you had something real, you know, like something big and something major was about to happen. So I, I think that that's kind of diluted the, the sense of spectacle of everything, you know. Like, Conne- connections with your fans is interesting because that is something Lois the Low has had uh, for, for so long, like certainly back in the the early 90s, then again in, in 2000, and, and you're back again. Uh, you also have so many other projects that you do as an artist yourself, aside from Lois the Low. What mm-hmm. keeps you coming back? Well, I think exactly that, which is that if, if I think if I was a – you know, some people are, are designed to be rock stars and some people aren't. I'm not really designed to be a rock star. I'm, I'm designed to be kind of an old-school folk troubadour kind of dude. Like, I really want to talk to people, and I want to build bridges with people, and I want to, you know, I, I hopefully want to have an effect in the world that's about community-based work. And, uh, you know, like, I come I come to it from, a, from the politics of the left and being a socialist. I grew up as a socialist, and I think that's as big a reason why I wanted to be a songwriter as as the music side of it, you know? So if, so for me, you know, I have the kind of grassroots audience that keep coming back. I've had people tell me, you know, like a lot of people don't have that kind of audience anymore. Like, they, you know, they don't, they're not going to come to see you today and then come to see you in three months. Like they're going to come to your big release show because it's a, a hipster hangout. And then next time you have a record, they'll come, but they're not going to come back and back and back. And I have a lot of repeat fans. And I think that's because I grew up with people like Billy Bragg and the clash and all these bands that were really, you know, the audience is King. I mean, you know, Joe Strummer said, "Without people, you're nothing." You know, and it's and I I agree with that. Like, it's really about uh, reaching out and the connection to the crowd, and that's when it's best for the band too. Like when there's a nice uh, give and take with the audience live. You know, talk. Let's talk about the songwriting because it always took me at, at first as surprise. Now I just delight in in the fact that you're in this punk band essentially that is doing straight up rock and roll and when you seeing you live you were guys are a rock band there's no mm-hmm. question about it but the subject matter and the artistry of what you're singing about goes from toronto nostalgia to to socialism as you put it mm-hmm. yeah it's just you know i i've never understood why uh why things like you know girls and cars got sort of hardwired with rock and roll like you know I think, like, that's fine, and I certainly love enough of my Girls in Cars songs, (laughs) you know, from back in the day. But, I mean, like, I think it's just, you know, I think probably people like the Beatles started the idea of, like, we're kind of bored just doing the same thing that they did in the 50s, you know, like, God bless Elvis, but we're kind of bored with that. We want to kind of bridge out and make every every album sound sonically differently, different, and we want to, you know, maybe John Lennon more so than Paul McCartney, but, you know, I want to get more into understanding the way my inner self works and, and, uh, you know, and, and politics and stuff like that. And I think then you go to the punk uh, scene and then you realize, you know, you've got bands like The Clash who just wouldn't sing love songs because they were like, well, everybody's done that. We, you know, we want to talk about how frustrated youth are in England. And, you know, just it, I took all that stuff in and just realized, you know, uh, certainly I love to write love songs as well, but I mean, 
there's just a giant world, and why would you narrow yourself into one corner of it, you know? Billy Bragg's another guy who, he talks about politics and he talks about love songs, and quite frankly, I think his songs about romance and love are better than his political songs, but he does it all, you know, like he does quite a lot of stuff. As do lows to low, I will say. Uh, i got to ask you, as a songwriter, uh, to me, songwriting tends to be a very personal, a very intimate, almost a solitary occupation. But being in a rock band is the complete opposite. Uh, Mm. Is there a dichotomy within yourself? Yeah, for sure. I ride this roller coaster where, like, because I also have a very, uh, you know, very um, active solo career. Uh, as uh, you know, to the extent that I went, I toured China by myself with an acoustic guitar, and, and uh, have been to Australia a few times that way as well. And there's something amazing and immediate about that. Like I used to busk on the street, and I, I get the same feel from it. And as a songwriter, I always had this thing in my head, like you know, a song has to work like that. If it doesn't work like that, and it's not a real song, it's just kind of like wallpaper, you know. So I need to be able to deliver it on an acoustic guitar, even if it's a punk song or whatever it is, you know. And so I, I will go do that. But, you know, after I do that for a while, I get lonely for the whole gang. You know, you're in a gang kind of mentality with a band and us against the world. And, and you know, even like the push in the air of the amps and the drums and stuff like that. So I kind of ride this thing back and forth where I'm like, you know, and then I have enough of that. And I'm like, man, I, I just want people to hear the lyrics, you know, and then I'll do shows. Like I just did a series of shows in Toronto at a place called Graffiti's, which holds 40 people. And it's a bit like a church in there. Like you can hear a pin drop. People are listening to every word. You know, and so then the, I guess the songwriting ego uh, at times takes over, and it's like I want to hear that. I want I want people to respect the songs, and you know, and then I do that for a while, and I go, no, I just want people to slam dance and you know throw beer bottles at us on stage. You know, <laughs> March first, uh, Meaford Hall, uh, a wonderful concert space. Have you explored that before? I've not been in it, but I have every musician I've I've talked to who's played it absolutely loves it. What can we expect? Uh, obviously, some some of the new stuff. How do you decide of the huge catalog what you're going to play on stage? Yeah, well, we've. I guess we're. I th- I feel like we're in the sweet spot now. Like there was a period of time, certainly, that we were very stubborn about always moving forward and, and just pushing the new stuff and you know slightly peppering the old stuff in. And I think. You know, since we did a we did a twentieth um, anniversary Shakespeare My Butt tour in which we just did Shakespeare My Butt front to back, and then the encore was other songs. And and among other things, I realized, wow, there's a lot of words in those songs because I was just I was hard to breathe <laughs> all that singing. But you know, nowadays I think we're in this place where it's like you know we're really honoring the past and honoring those songs because we know that people want to hear them and and thank God you know that that we're a band that have a catalog where people want to hear some of those old songs. And so we play those, but then of course we we still do want to. Uh, move people forward and say, hey, you know, we're still writing songs, and I think they're just as good. Some of them are, I think, are better than, you know, and let people be the judge of that. Well, we sure do want to hear the March 1st, Meaford Hall, lowest of the low, live. And Ron Hawkins, thank you so much for your time here on Talk of the Town. Yeah, thank you.